that we live in. And listen, I love being a latte. I'm always trying to juxtapose what our culture is doing and how it works so that we understand like kind of the soup in which we're living, but also the issues with the way our culture works. Because our culture, we live in a day and age where nobody wants to be told that they're imperfect, which is completely illogical because all of us are. You know that you're not perfect. Everyone knows they're not perfect. But we treat each other as if we expect perfection from everybody else, don't we? We get disappointed when people fail us and get down on ourselves when we fall short of our own goals. That's the nature of things. But Pastor Daniel is going to be teaching about the perfect standard, Jesus, and how when we decide to follow him, we can have that perfection in our lives. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of 1 John as he begins his message the basis of belief. So growing up, going to church, my absolute favorite holiday was Palm Sunday. I mean, Christmas was cool. I got excited for the presents after. Obviously, Easter was cool. My parents gave us Easter eggs and all that, but Palm Sunday was, for me, going to church growing up, really the most exciting. Why? Because it was the only holiday where when you walked in the door, they gave you an instrument of mischief when you walked in. How many of you went to a church where when you grew up on Palm Sunday, they gave you a palm leaf? Yeah, I remember. So I know it's shocking for all of you, but before I was this regal pastor, I was just like a troublemaker. That was never more on display than on Palm Sunday, because I remember we'd walk in the church and they'd give us this palm leaf, and I thought to myself, ooh, my sisters are going to hate me by the time I get done with this. And I love my sisters. They're great people, but I, you know, I was, you can imagine me before Jesus, right? And so... I would take that palm branch, and, and I remember, like, like, I would have it, and I would just be sitting, and all of a sudden, be like, you know, let's pray, pop, you know, and it's like, you know, I'd pop them with, with the thing, I'd hit it, and, or then, and then my dad would always sit next to me, because, you know, it's like the warden, you know what I mean, like, trying to keep me under control, and then after a while, you got a little bit better at it, where I would take, like, the palm, in my, and I would try and go, like, around, and on the other side, like, on the outside, like, tickle his ear and stuff, and he'd be like... You know what's so funny about this? You know, everyone sits in the same seat at church, right? It's like you grow up, you go to school and homeroom, they give you an assigned seat, and then you spend the rest of your life going to your assigned seat. So like all of you sit in the same spot. So sure enough, growing up, going to church, we'd always sit in the same spot. And then after a while, like you knew all the people who sat around you, you know, and I'd have that little palm and I had Mrs. Hurst used to sit in front of me. She was like one of our lunch ladies and I would just like mess with her hair and everything. And then finally it got to the point where we'd walk in on Palm Sunday and they, the ushers would try and give us a palm, and my dad would just be like, no. Just like, <laughs> not for him, not for him. I remember there was this one lady at our church, she'd take the palm and she'd make it into like a nice cross. Now, at the time, listen, this was, uh, it was before Jesus. I was in church. I had no clue what I was doing there. I thought that that thing was like, now it's like a, a Chinese star that you can throw at the priest, you know what I mean? <laughs> And the lady's like, yeah, we're not going to give him that anymore. Palm Sunday, it was a cool thing when you were a kid because it was just mayhem. But it was only later when I came to know Jesus that I actually understood what Palm Sunday was all about. It's the official beginning of Holy Week, 
Really, it's commemorated in the Bible when Jesus got onto that donkey and rode into, every time I say donkey, I think of Shrek. Am I the only one in that category? It's like donkey. Like it's, I don't know why. It's like it's ingrained in my brain from having kids. It's like everything's like donkey. Anyway, it's like Jesus coming into Jerusalem in fulfillment of that beautiful prophecy that he would be coming lowly, riding on a donkey. And he came over the Mount of Olives from the east side and came into Jerusalem. And everybody knew what it meant. I mean, at that moment, the week of the Passover feast, all the able-bodied people were in Jerusalem. Everybody was together from all over Israel to celebrate the Passover. And all of a sudden, when Jesus comes over, the place just erupts in praise. Literally, people were so excited that Jesus was coming in because really what it meant in that moment was that God was fulfilling all of his promises to Israel that he was going to send a savior. And literally, people were taking off their outer garments and they would lay them on the ground. And it was literally a symbolic way of saying, we are your subjects. You're the king. You can walk all over us. And they'd grab those palm branches. We're just literally tree leaves. And they would wave it because in the Psalms, it talks about how the trees clapped their hands for the glory of God. And so they were waving those palm branches. And it was like all of creation is praising God for this moment that they had been waiting for when the Messiah came. And I just try to imagine what it was like in Jerusalem when all that happened. Because everyone was there for the Passover, but this was a different one. The Messiah, is, is he really the Messiah? And, and you realize that at that moment, all of the praise of the people and the religious leaders were like, man, you need to stop saying that. Stop crying out, Hosanna, save now. And Jesus is like, listen, if they stop, the rocks are going to cry out. He's like, listen, man, nothing can stop what God is doing. But here's the question for all of us is what does all of this mean for us? Because there's an old saying that I've heard many times. I don't know if it's great theology, but there is a great principle in there, which goes something to the effect of a belief that does not change your heart won't necessarily save your soul. And the idea is that when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, when they believe in Jesus as the Messiah, that should change things on this side of eternity as well. And so much of what God wants to do in all of our lives, no matter where you find yourself on the journey of life or a journey of faith, what God is interested in is doing this work of changing us, transforming us. And so I'll be reflecting on this series that we're calling Beyond Belief. And really, as I started praying about the series, I just kept coming back to that we should be studying 1 John over the next week. So go ahead, open your Bibles to 1 John. We're going to start in chapter 1. I'm just going to give you a little lay of the land here. So if you're new to the Bible, 1 John is almost at the end of your Bible. It's written by a man named John, who is one of the original 12 apostles. And apart from the apostle Paul, God used the apostle John to write more in the Bible than really anybody else in the New Testament. Because John wrote his gospel, and then he wrote three letters, which we call 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And then he was also the human author of the book of Revelation. What's interesting about the apostle John is out of all of the apostles, he was the only one who died of natural causes, although they tried. Church history tells us that the Roman emperor tried to kill the apostle John, but he's a great reminder that a person of God is invincible until God is done with them. 
Because he just wouldn't die, man. He just wouldn't go down until God was done. And that's just a great reminder. Because we live in a world full of fear. You have to remember, until God's done, you're invincible. You don't have to worry about going out too early. We'll all go out when time is right. You know, but until God's done with us, we're going to be fine. And so I'm going to be spending a lot of time in 1 John. Today, what's beautiful is in 1 John, there's three places in 1 John that John tells us who God is. God is this, God is this. There's three of those. We'll see those today, what I call the basis of belief. And then there's three places in 1 John where he says, I've written these things to you for this reason. And so I'm going to take the three reasons John wrote this and I'm going to call it the blessings of belief. So if you want to do some homework, just spend some time. It's perfect little three-point sermons, preacher craft, good Bible teaching. But what I think is really important for us is We have to ask ourselves, how is our faith in Jesus and how is walking with Jesus changing us right now? Not about how it changed you two decades ago or 80 years ago or eight months ago. Because what God did yesterday and in the past is wonderful. But God's work in us is not done until he takes us home. And so the idea for all of us is that growth and transformation is a continual part of the journey. And it's my hope that by looking at who is God, that in the light of God's nature and God's characteristics, then we will also say, Lord, will you change me? Will you conform me? Will you transform me? So that in the light of who you are, my life would reflect that. As we say here at Crosses, we want to simply respond to Jesus, which means as we see who God is, then we respond to that. And that response to who God is, empowered by the Spirit, is a life that's changing. So if we jump on in, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you know, it's the first thing that we learn about God here in these verses, and I get this directly out of verse 5, is that God is what? God is light. He's saying, this is the message which we heard from Jesus, and we declare it to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so this idea that God is light, uh, the theologian Kenneth Weiss, he's really a Greek scholar, he wrote about this idea of God being light. He says this, light is immaterial, diffusive, pure, and glorious, It is the condition of life. Physically, it represents glory, intellectually truth, and morally, holiness. Now, I love this idea that light is diffusive. The idea is that when you turn on a light, 
on a light bulb, the light doesn't stay at the light bulb. It now diffuses through the room. And in so much of what God is doing in all of our lives, it's he wants to enlighten. I know that's a tough word to use in a new age kind of a way where it's kind of been co-opted, but there's no more proper language for what God does is God wants to enlighten our lives. He wants his light to now shine into our light. And as that happens, God does a work because don't miss the fact it says God is light and in God, there is no what darkness at all. Now you realize that with light, there are shadows. Like if you notice here, like there's the lights here. And if you notice behind me, there's this little person following me. It's called my shadow. And depending on where you are, see, I see there's light over there on the floor too. You see all that? And so like, depending on where the light is, it always casts a shadow. And for all of us, what we have to realize is that who we are, there are shadows. Now, I remember when I was growing up in college, I studied psychology in college. Don't judge me. I was just trying to figure myself out. I remember I took an abnormal psych class. I'll never forget my professor first day. She said, okay, this is abnormal psych. Please don't come to my office hours and tell me you have all of these things. Because she's like, invariably, we have like all this stuff that's going on. I remember in everything that we were talking about, I'm like, yep, I got that. I got that. I definitely got that. You know, because all of it, it's like, you're like, yeah, like, but in psychology, rather than using the biblical language, they have to come up with their own language. So they say, you have, it's called your shadow, which if you look in your Bible, you know what the shadow is? Your flesh. That's what the Bible calls it. The flesh in the Bible is our rebellion against God. It's the parts of who we are that we know what we ought to do, but we don't really want to do it. Or like our cartoons taught us, there's a situation, there's a devil on one shoulder, there's an angel on the other shoulder, and you're like, ooh, what should I do? Should I be good or should I be a naughty? And most of you, you're naughty by nature. That's an 80s music reference. So we have that going on. But in psychology, we call this our shadow. It's that part of us, we know what we ought to do, but we really don't feel like doing that. But the Bible just calls that the flesh. And all of us have it except for God. God is light and there's no shadow areas. God's not like always like, man, so should I be naughty or should I be holy? No, God is pure, righteous, and holy. And the beauty is, is because God is light, that is an invitation for us into a different life that we would have on our own. Because look at what it says. They say, God is light, and in God, there's no shadiness in God. There's no darkness. There's no like, man, God is not actually being kind and loving, truthful and holy. But then notice what it says. Immediately, the apostle John says that God is light. He's diffusive, no darkness. And then look what he says, verse six. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, you see what he says there? He's saying, look, if we say that we are in relationship with God and he is light, and if we walk in darkness, then we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. Because where God is, where there is that illumination and that enlightened reality of the diffusive nature of God, there is no darkness there. So if we say that we are in fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness, we're lying. Because the two don't fit together. So right there, because God is light, we get invited into that light. And he's saying, listen, if you say you're in fellowship with God, you walk in darkness, that's a lie. It's not the truth. Look what it says next. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I like that. He's saying... 
instead of walking in darkness, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, first it says that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Now, this is very, very powerful because in the light, we see our own shadows. In the light, we see our own darkness. And our culture that we live in, and listen, I love being a latte. I'm always trying to juxtapose what our culture is doing and how it works so that we understand like kind of the soup in which we're living, but also the issues with the way our culture works. Because our culture, we live in a day and age where nobody wants to be told that they're imperfect, which is completely illogical because all of us are. And we shouldn't feel incredibly wounded by realizing that we're not perfect because you wake up yourself in the morning, you get out of bed and look in the mirror and you say, oh gosh. Like I worked out with my daughters yesterday. We all woke up this morning and none of us could walk. That's because I am not in perfect shape and neither are my kids. Praise God. Even though we were doing this workout and I'm like dying and my little daughter Annabelle, who's nine, is like, this is easy, dad. Like, let's just keep going. Why are you stopping? Why are you sitting down? I'm like, Annabelle. And then she woke up this morning she's like, my hips hurt. I'm like, that's because you're a jerk. Now, I didn't really say she was a jerk, but she, like, it was amazing. Like, I'm like huffing and puffing and my Annabelle's like, this is easy. But then today she's feeling it because she's not perfect. See, so we live in a world where People don't like to be told that they're not perfect. And whether it's because everyone got participation trophies when they were growing up, or those of you who didn't get participation trophies, you're just grumpy because you wish you had. We live in a culture that doesn't like to be honest about where we are. But what we find is that when you walk in the light with Jesus, he shows you that you're imperfect. In the presence of a holy God, all of our imperfections are seen, our selfishness and our pride, our judgments and our covetousness, the lies that we believe. I mean, that's what happens. But what's funny is is when we walk in the light, we actually get to have fellowship with one another because you know what real relationship is? Real relationship is a mutual knowing. And it doesn't mean that you only have relationships with people who are perfect. Why? Because... Only Jesus fulfills that role. Every relationship you have is you're a flawed person. You're having a relationship with a flawed person. And a real relationship is not when we pretend that we don't have flaws. It's then when we realize in a place of grace that we all have flaws. And that our flaws are not the end of the story. Because if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And what happens? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. See, The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God sees us who we really are, and God loves us in our faults, and God says, our faults are not the end of the story, my forgiveness is. Jesus said it this way, John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, it's the same thing. John's like, this is what we heard from Jesus. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And listen, if you walk in darkness and you say you have fellowship with God, you're lying, you're not practicing the truth. But if you walk in the light as Jesus, who is the light of the world, is in the light, then we get to have real relationships with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you're flawed. Look at the other person and say, you're flawed. Go ahead, tell them. 
Now, all the married couples are like, I've been saying that for 70 years. Now you're finally listening because Fusco tells you. I've been showing you this since the day we got married that you're flawed. But now I want you to look at the person I just say, and I'm flawed too. Yeah. Look at the person on the other side and say, yup. Go ahead, tell them. Yup. As followers of Jesus, we are allowed to be honest with the fact that we are flawed. And brothers and sisters, I am flawed. And I'm sorry for my flaws. Oh, yes. I got to praise God, Daniel. Yes. I was just thinking about this the other day. I got to go to a Blazer game. This was a couple years ago. I, one of our board members took me to a Blazer game. And he was telling this story to my wife, Lynn. And so just about people being flawed. So I went to this Blazer game. I got to pick any game. So it was the Blazers. So I'm a New York sports fan. So I went to see the New York Knicks. Now, up until like two years ago, the Knicks have been horrible for like three decades since John Starks retired. So if you know basketball, it's my team. But sure enough, I went to see it. It was when Carmelo Anthony, who is a great basketball player, when he played for the Blazers, but he used to be on the Knicks. Now, we have a rule in New York that if you don't win a championship, we don't like you. It's just kind of how it is. So sure enough, Carmelo Anthony's out there. And so we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, right Carmelo comes out, like, and playing for the Blazers, Carmelo Anthony. And I'm like, boo! I'm the only one in the whole place booing. And meanwhile, one of our board members is looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, Daniel, stop. And every time he got the ball, I'm like, boo, go back to New York. I'm like, (laughs) and he's looking at me and he's horrified. Now, all of you know that me booing someone at a sports event is totally on brand for my personality, right? Because I'm a troublemaker by nature. I've been mischievous my whole life. Now I just get to be called pastor of trouble. But that's a different, you know, by the time the game is over, in the beginning, Ryan, who's our board member, is like, I'm worried that we're going to get thrown out of there and they're going to revoke my tickets and everything. And by the end, he's like, but everybody really liked you at the end. It was so weird. But I bring that up because it's like, is anyone shocked that I booed someone at a sporting event? No, you're like, if you know me even a little bit, you're like, yeah, that's what Fusco would do. Why? Because I'm flawed. And in our culture, our culture says, if you're flawed, be away from me. Our culture says, right as we find out that you are what the Bible has always said that we are, which is imperfect people, then we want to create distance. But that's actually not how God handles this. Because God says, you're flawed, but your flaws are not repulsive to me. The good news of Jesus is that God saw humanity and creation as flawed and said, I'm going to go enter it to save it. I'm not going to run from it. I'm going to run towards it. I'm not going to reject it. I am going to incarnate myself into it to be able to buy it back. And so we have a tendency to think, I am flawed, so this is a big problem. And God says, actually, it's in the midst of your flaws that I can do my best work. Why? Because God is light. Jesus is real. Think about the first Palm Sunday. What if you'd been there? The idea of letting other people know that you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, saying it in public, and risking ridicule or worse from others. Pastor Daniel talked about going beyond a casual relationship with God and getting deeper into what being a follower of Jesus is. He didn't talk about the outward cost as much as God's requiring you to be willing to be changed by God down to your core. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue his teaching, The Basis of Belief. You'll be focusing on the Apostle John's use of the word love. You'll hear about God's love for you when you're honest with him and how it contrasts with how the world treats you when you bear your soul to them. Pastor Daniel will show you how being real with God takes you places spiritually that you never could have imagined. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Beyond Belief next time. Until then, may God bless.